Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're coming to you on a Friday morning in Happy Valley and uh, a lot more insight this week from the Penn State football facilities as Nittany Lions media days have uh, taken center stage since Wednesday. Uh, we started midweek with James Franklin, all three of his coordinators, Joe Lorig, special teams, Brent Pry, the veteran on defense, and of course the new addition offensively, play caller Kirk Sharaka, who you'll hear from in just a bit here. Uh, but it's been all about the players since then. Thursday, I uh, got our first brush uh, with player interactions, and Friday we have more coming later in the day, uh, pretty much right when we wrap up recording here. Uh, we do have live updates all over the website right now, lions247.com. Good time to be on the site, good time to be on the message boards. We've really turned the page into preseason mode, and with the help of players, Sean, it's you, I know you were kind of taken aback when I mentioned on our earlier episode this week that it had been since July when we got any of these Penn State players in a media session formally. Um, and the, the floodgates opened in a big way on Thursday morning. Well, they missed us, obviously, right? I mean, this is the the players have a great relationship with the media. And, you know, obviously it's been a long time since they've seen us. So I'm just, I'm, they were happy to see our smiling faces on Wednesday or Thursday and going to be happy again today. There's there's another part of uh, of media day that happens on Friday. We're recording before that just so we can get it out in, you know, in good time for you guys. So if anything happens crazy on Friday, that's that's why. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good to see them. Uh, obviously, uh, well-coached, as always. They do a fantastic job up there at uh, Athletic Communications, but uh, well-coached by them, and they, they had a lot of great information. I mean, it's uh, we, we wrote a bunch of stuff on the site. Uh, just whoever we stopped by seemed to have a great story to tell, um, whether that be uh, pandemic-related, uh, social-related, football-related, any of that kind of stuff, and, and it was great. So it was, it was a nice little breath of fresh air, and I know the people, at least on our site at Lions 24-7, really appreciated it. And shout out to the athletic communications department. I think they took a big step forward uh, from from Wednesday to Thursday, and they had a lot to juggle on Thursday. I know there was, uh, you know, some, some mishaps and all that, but we're all dealing with with life on Zoom instead of doing this all out in the Beaver Stadium field, where where you pretty much just find a cluster of players and run up to them with the microphone. That's not the case in 2020, um, and so we're all working through that. The uh, the new SID, uh, Greg Kincaid, and of course Chris Peterson leading the charge. Um, and, and we're going to get a shout out to Chris and, and, and the, uh, the brand ambassador, Sean Clifford, a little bit later and how he handled the question about that Ohio State game. But big takeaway from Wednesday before we get into the player conversations was that the door is no longer wide open with Micah Parsons. The parties are going their separate ways. Penn State's moving forward toward October 24th weekend in a matchup against Indiana. Micah Parsons is uh, full steam ahead for the 2021 NFL Draft. Now, 
Uh, we did learn Rashad Bateman will be with uh, Minnesota. I know folks are going to point to Ohio State uh, getting Wyatt Davis and, and Sean Wade back in the fold. Rondell Moore's at Purdue. But every case is unique. And in Micah Parsons' situation, uh, he is keeping that focus on the professional draft. And, and as Franklin alluded to on Wednesday, the timing here, it's been a while since Micah Parsons hit the exit door in Happy Valley. And uh, yeah, I think uh, despite conversations that took place between Micah, the, the, his family, the coaching staff, uh, there was some glimmer of optimism, and I know a lot of our board ran really hard with that optimism, uh, but but we have some finality finally, and I think that's good for Franklin, it's good for the fans, and more importantly, it's good for the guys in that locker room. Yeah, it's good for all parties, really, including Micah, and that's something that they stressed as well team seems fairly happy with, you know, him being happy. So, I mean, you can, you can go with, uh, whichever direction you want to go with it, but he made the decision for himself. He's supposed to make that decision for himself and he did so. And I don't think too many people hold it against him, but yeah, you're right. It's good to have some finality, especially in that linebacker room where they have to break in three starters. We got, we talked to a couple of them yesterday, so that'll be an interesting sort of subplot to the season as, you know, we view linebacker as a, as a position of strength because of the talent that they've recruited and the guys that they have in there, but three new starters is three new starters, especially with the schedule setup that they have. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, sort of uh, side story for them, for, for the linebackers. But you're right. With Micah, I mean, we, we said it from the start, the chances of it happening, very close to none, but closer to slim. They did what they could. They had some conversations, which, you know, give them credit. They, they tried to get him back. And you're right. I mean, it's just so far gone from when he announced, we announced before, uh, really, there was a, an updated schedule. So, I mean, it's not it's not a complete surprise or it's not a, a, a surprise at all that he's not coming back. But, you know, they made their effort and it, yeah, I think they should probably be lauded for it because that's a, that's a tough decision to make. And Micah, He's been gone for a while. He's been out in California training. He's assuming he's been making money. He's been on Cameo. I'm sure he's getting uh, endorsement deals lined up and stuff like that. And he's getting ready for the combine. So he's doing what he's needed to do. I, I don't think there's too many hard feelings floating around. We spent some substantial time back in early August when Micah uh, uh, confirmed that opt-out, opt out, focusing on what he accomplished in his two seasons at Penn State, uh, kind of looking back at the saga of, of a lengthy, lengthy recruitment that spanned his entire high school career, essentially. There'll be another time and place to, to refocus on Micah, uh, you know, kind of kind of take another look through the lens at, at his two seasons here in Happy Valley. Uh, but for now, we'll focus on the Nittany Lions who are, are hitting the practice field. And, and Sean, this was a big week for them because... Uh, the, the, the pads are back on, They're not all the way back on, at least as of, of Wednesday's practice when we saw, uh, some footage of, of a helmet and shoulder pads, uh, still in shorts out there. But as Franklin said, they're not just going to jump into the deep end head first with the process. Uh, over the next few weeks, they're going to be steadily intensifying practice. There will be some live contact period, but as James Franklin said on Wednesday, there's just not a lot of live contact bringing guys to the ground going on at any level of football, college, or, or, or high school. You probably still see a lot of it, but college or professionally, not seeing a lot of that. That's been the case before this year. Um, I think the one thing that, that I really took away is the, the team is back on the field together. Um, and we're going to talk about team chemistry a little bit later and the importance of that. But it's been a while since these guys all shared the field, getting back into the flow. And, but at the end of the day, they get to to raise the ante a little bit, uh, going from that tap-off tempo to the thud tempo. And Sean Clifford said himself on Thursday, it was just great to hear the thud of the pads out in the practice fields. It was a uh, an unfamiliar noise in 2020. It's been since 2019 since they had those pads on. And Noah Kane said he felt like a baby on Christmas morning 
waking up on Wednesday knowing he was getting shoulder pads uh, on his on his body. That's a couple references in one. I think just kind of melding together from Noah Kane. But no, it's it's, it's going to be uh, a different sort of uh, schedule. It's it's October, but it's for all intents and purposes, we're thinking of it like early August. You got a couple of weeks of of camp per se, and you've already had those guys around each other. You've had the uh, helmeted sessions that you can't wear pads, you can't hit. The physical aspect is going to be very interesting to me because we've seen teams that have come out of the gate. Uh, I think we could spotlight Navy here. They came, you know, there was no no hitting and everything like that in camp, and then all of a sudden they come out and they don't hit BYU either, and BYU scores fifty points on them. So I think that that's going to be an interesting subplot, especially when you're breaking in guys um, at linebacker, you're breaking in a new safety, although Jaquan Brisker has played a bunch. Um, so the guys in the back seven, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting change for these guys. So a little bit wary, especially when you, you know, you go to play Indiana, who's going to spread the ball out and throw the ball out and, and try to, uh, you know, get the ball on the perimeter and, and make you tackle. That's, uh, and then of course, Ohio State's in week two, but we're not talking about them, right? Uh, I think we talked to Sean Clifford and he's not even aware that they play Ohio State in week two. Yeah, that one uh, circulated pretty quickly on social media. The the fact that Sean Clifford uh, was asked by a young reporter on the call uh, about that Week 2 matchup uh, in Beaver Stadium on Halloween. And uh, as you would completely anticipate from any veteran player on this Penn State roster at this point, I've, I've certainly learned the lessons over the last few years. They're not going to address something that's not right in front of their face if you're talking about the, the upcoming schedule. And, and Sean didn't take the bait. He said he didn't know that that week two was uh was was Ohio State, and he said to be honest, that's how he started that. I don't think that was necessarily the case. I think he's well aware he's an Ohio kid, and uh, he also uh, I, 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 I'm not buying that, and no one is, but. I am buying that he is the ultimate brand ambassador as the QB1 right now for, for this program. And he brought up that 1-0 mentality several times in the call. I remember when he was a backup back in 2018, talking to someone had asked about an upcoming matchup, and he had referenced the 1-0 mentality. So he had it figured out then. He certainly has it figured out now. Uh, but no, we're, we can talk about it, Sean, but, but not necessarily going to on, on this episode, I will say defensively preparing for this live action, getting out there and tackling guys and doing it with good form and proper technique. You're pro- I, I don't know what Michigan's going to look like. I know there's some excitement, excitement about Joe Milton, but uh, until proven otherwise, I'm, I'm not really going to count on Michigan having an explosive offensive attack. There is a strong case to be made that you're facing the two toughest offenses on your schedule week one and week two, uh, particularly with Ohio State coming to town in that week two matchup. But Indiana, we, we've repeatedly said this, it's a very tricky matchup to start your season. Michael Penix went healthy. Uh, you heard the excitement in Chris Hummer's voice when he was talking about the Big Ten and Michael Penix's role as an emerging player potentially here in 2020. It's a dangerous matchup, and this team needs to be ready. And Brent Price said, he has certainly seen some of the sloppy defensive play early in the weeks, and he's trying to do everything he can to avoid that. But uh, it's certainly tough because you take away spring practice. Even if you had spring practice uh, in, in your history this year, that'd be something to hang your hat on. But uh, as we'll get to in a moment, it's a pretty young linebacker group, and you are replacing several starters on defense. Well, we talk about the silver linings, but you've got a chance with this season being moved back. You got a chance to show them LSU losing to Mississippi State. You get a chance to show them Oklahoma trying to tackle Kansas State, and and you say, hey, this can happen to anybody, and, and we got to be prepared for it. We got to, you know, uh, buckle down on our fundamentals and go with it. So I think that that's, you know, if you're talking about advantages that you can you can get from this delay, I mean, maybe there is one there. So um, that that'll be something to to watch as it go forward. As we know, I mean. This has been the this has been the case for years. Early in the season, 
is missed tackles. And it's not, it's not a Penn State thing. It's a college football thing. And that's, uh, you know, grows back to the practices. So it will be very interesting to see that on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I mean, all that focus. I know we talk about Clifford. We talk about the receivers. We talk about the talent at running back and tight end. But Kirk Shiraka, man, that's uh, that's going to be the guy I think that makes it or breaks it. We got a chance to talk to Kirk on Wednesday, and he was phenomenal. I mean, he's he's a special kind of cat, man. He's uh, you take you take a look at uh, the things that he says, and he'll pull references out of nowhere that uh, will will make you chuckle, and then it'll make you think. So uh, we we definitely are always entertained by Kirk Shiraka, and hopefully th- this fall and into this winter, that'll be the same case for for the fans. Kirk is the man with the plan. Penn State fans certainly hope that plan comes together with some explosive offensive uh, action across the, the season. You, you know, you've got a lot of talent in place. There's there's unknown commodities at receiver. We're actually going to talk about that in the mailbag. Um, but yeah, uh, Sean Clifford, Jahan Dotson, some of the veterans that we heard from uh, on Thursday really uh, specifically mentioned that detail-oriented nature. And, and if you run a, a, an eight-yard route on what's supposed to be a nine-yard route, you're going to hear about it, and it's not going to be something that gets glossed over. Uh, he, uh, I think Jahan Dotson, uh, I believe, used the phrase, uh, he's going to get on your ass. If it wasn't Jahan, it was someone else, and I apologize for, for putting a curse word in Jahan's mouth. But, uh, Sean, I, I think there's a lot of excitement about what Kirk brings to this offensive attack. Uh, we all want to see it uh, in a game, but I think our, our, our audience will appreciate uh, just the, this clip of audio. We had about 20 minutes of a video up on Lines 24-7 for, for a much deeper dive into our time with Kirk Shiraka on Wednesday. But uh, here's just kind of an example of, of what Sean said. An uh, interesting guy to listen to in general. I think the offense has answers. Um, you know, we know if you move your chess piece here, we know where to move our chess piece next um, in in the game. And I, I want to be physical, right? I, I want football is a physical game, right? I, I want us to be physical, and that really starts up front with the O line, right? Um, and that's what we've talked about with them. Like you're you're going to play a big part in creating our identity. Um, from a physical standpoint, from a mentality standpoint. Uh, so like that's, that's what we want to be. We believe in explosive plays. Um, but you know, uh, explosive plays come from execution. 11 guys doing their job, play after play after play. That's, that, that's how explosive plays happen organically. You're not going to hit that 30 yard dig pass over the middle unless the protection's right. Um, you know, you're not going to suck the linebackers up unless you are able to run the ball a little bit and make them honor their gaps. Uh, you know, um, you're not going to get that receiver on that one-on-one post shot over the top uh, and, unless everybody else has been doing their job play after play. They're not going to let them one-on-one uh, at that point. So it, it takes everybody. And, and I really believe this, like offensive football has got to be 11 guys playing together play after play, doing their job, play after play, you know, and I, and I might've said this before, but the best analogy of that I can think of is if, if, if you go and listen to an orchestra play, right. What makes the music so nice is all the different instruments playing in sync together. Right. And like that, when you have 11 guys playing together on offense, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Right. But if you have a couple of guys going the wrong way or not doing their job, it can be ugly at times to watch. Just like that orchestra or symphony, if somebody's not playing in tune, it doesn't sound good. So there you have it. Uh, 
you want to hear sweet, sweet music uh, coming in late October and, and not want to hear that that uh, that ugly symphony uh, that Kirk Shiraka referenced there. And, and we'll find out soon enough. One thing that stood out from that call um, from Kirk was something that we addressed uh, on the earlier episode and Will Levis's potential role in the run game for uh, for Penn State. Seth Green is a guy we alluded to at Minnesota last year at five rushing touchdowns. He was a, a quarterback converted to, to receiver, converted to, to Wildcat quarterback, uh, ended up being kind of a goal line package QB for them and 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 running the ball quite quite effectively in short yardage situations. And I actually specifically mentioned that to Kirk on the call, and he came back and he felt like Levis would bring more to the table, but he certainly saw from a physical standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, and his ability to run the ball uh, parallels there. But he thinks that Will Levis ultimately uh, can, can provide more of an offensive threat in that kind of a role. I think there's a plan for him. I, I know you think there's a plan for Will Levis, and it doesn't necessarily involve Sean Clifford uh, getting hurt. I think that you're going to see him utilized uh, whether Sean Clifford is is running the offense perfectly or otherwise, uh, there's going to be a role for a QB too. Well, I hope that's not the plan <laughs> to get Sean Clifford hurt. Um, but yeah, and, and as an aside, I hope that he runs less this year so he has less of a chance of getting hurt. But that's neither here nor there. But Wet Levis is a guy, I mean, what did Kirk say? They haven't put in their red zone stuff yet, which is completely understandable. But at the same point, the first time he saw Will Levis, I think he saw Seth Green and he saw the dude that could, a big dude that could run, um, be your hammer, be your, your goal line fullback, if you will. And I think he's probably excited about the possibility. Now he, he did make a great point. Levis can throw the ball. I mean, he's, uh, he, he struggles with accuracy as we saw last year at times, but nobody's got a, a bigger arm than Will Levis. So that, that brings a sort, a certain different, uh, uh, a different approach for defenses because you can't just sell out and play the run if, if Levis is in there. So I think that gives you something. Uh, does it give you the lion? I think it gives you something a little bit different. I think it gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, sort of play around. And, and Clifford's an athletic guy too, so you can move him around. And I think I think it'll be interesting. I don't know that it'll be a huge part of the offense, but it'll be an intriguing part nonetheless. And I think it it can really be a productive part. Something opponents have to think about, and in a shortened season where, where you're not going to have a lot of that early season tape. Uh, there'll be opportunities to spring some more surprises, put out some new packages, uh, and, and take defenses by surprise, I think, uh, early in this season and really throughout an eight-game schedule. Uh, Sean, when you look at the running attack, we talked about this. If you missed it earlier, we started our State of the Position um, series on Tuesday, talked about a loaded running back group for, for Penn State. We'll talk about them again in a second, but Kirk Shiraka referenced in the Big Ten, it's great to have that depth. Uh, he, he's certainly excited to utilize those guys. Um, but I think in general, whether we're talking about the ground game, the passing attack, Sean Clifford said a couple times, this offense right now and quarterback in particular, battling the clock because they did not get the reps that they thought they would have at their disposal over the course of 2020 with Kirk Shiraka, a new play caller. The time was not spent on the field. Um, they've got a second year starter at quarterback. And I think that's an important thing to note. Anyone who has a starting quarterback returning with that experience under their belt this season in college football, I think that's a, that's a big advantage. Um, but, but as he said, time is not on their side. And, and, and let's remember uh, they've got new coaches, not just that quarterback and not just a new play caller, but a new offensive line coach and a new receivers coach in that mix as well. 
That's certainly something that you, you need to take into account here. You've got the veteran in Clifford. You've got guys, Journey Brown's played a lot of football. Noah Kane, even though he's just a sophomore, has played a lot of football, a veteran offensive line. So you can lean on that veteran presence. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. There's no substitute for live reps. And that's something that they sort of hammered home yesterday is they would have loved to get on the field in the spring. They would have loved to get you know a little bit more time in August. Uh, if, if they got some pads on in August, that would have been, I think, a, a big step for them. But I mean, you, you've got to sort of learn on the fly now. You've got about, uh, what, three and a half weeks, four weeks to get going. Uh, is that enough to get a whole offense in the, the, the transition with the helmets and everything help, but at the same time, I mean, you're not blocking anybody. You're not trying to do the things that you need to do to move people out of the way to get them in the spots that you want them to be in while they're trying to get to the spots that they want to be in. And it's really, it seems so simple when you put it like that, but there's a lot that goes into it and you got to drill that and drill that and drill that they haven't had the opportunity to do. So then you've got no non-conference game. I think what's interesting to me, uh, you've got a take the same approach that you take every year. But at the same time, we think about when this team has faltered sort of consistently, and it's around that seventh, eighth game, and usually it's around Ohio State, but it's around late, about two-thirds through the season. Now you've got an eight-game season. You've got running backs who won't be as worn down. You hopefully have a quarterback who won't be as worn down, as we saw with Trace, we saw with Clifford last year. So hopefully you get the team a a little bit of advantage by shortening that schedule, taking some of that out of it, and and hopefully, you know, by the end of the season, albeit the end of the season is, is, or the the season schedule is front-loaded, uh, you get a fresher team, you get an opportunity to to sort of sustain that level for a longer period of time. Penn State last year, it was October 26th when they improved to 8-0, and that would be their, their final win in that early season streak. Well, not an early season streak, two-thirds. They that should do that Michigan this year. State. Yeah, yeah well, they, they should do that this year. They also will, you know, hit late October unbeaten, but without a win this time around. And that is 22 days away, that first September of the Big Ten season. Uh, of course, if you're following our countdown to kickoff on uh, on the website, you know full well on that. And uh, we got the Heisman Trophy winner uh, in the spotlight today for that countdown, number 22, John Capaletti. But but Sh- Sean, that's that's not much time at all. I mean, and and, and I don't even count that. I certainly don't count that week leading up to Indiana as part of any kind of preseason camp because that's game week, and you know they're going to try to reinforce everything they would on a normal game week under very different circumstances and they're going to have to find a way to travel in this situation and adapt to that and that's going to be a new challenge and a new hurdle to clear for this program and its players and its coaching staff uh but yeah that 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 countdown clock is going to get louder and louder day by day um the one thing that you certainly think you can hang your hat on as we said earlier this week is a running back group that has a lot of experience at the top and that starts with Noah Kane, Journey Brown, Kane looked like the guy who was going to take this thing by the horns in early October, mid-October last year. He gets hurt in that Michigan State game I just referenced, and and Journey Brown goes on a tear for the final five games of the year. Um, You come out of this thing expecting both of them to see plenty of action, and it was interesting hearing this. What was great about Thursday was we were reminded about some of these personalities, and we were reminded about how a locker room dynamics revolve. Both Kane and Brown acknowledged that last year early on, they were really not on the same page. They have quite different personalities. Uh, Kane is kind of a uh, comes off as kind of a no nonsense business approach. Uh, a pretty kind quiet, of. Uh, 
Uh, he does. <laughs> I mean, he, he he comes off as like he's he's like an NFL veteran almost, and and he just goes about his business, keeps his head down. He's great with the media, but but Journey Brown, he said himself, he you know, he likes to goof around a little bit. He has fun. Uh, he said Noah Kane essentially thought he was a weirdo early on, and they kind of clashed from from that standpoint. That changed this year. They ended up training together out in California during spring break before COVID nineteen shut things down here on campus. And these two uh, are really believe in each other, and I think there's a lot of belief. Uh, among that backfield in both these guys and really from top to bottom with that running back group. But one thing to note here, physically, these guys are bigger than last time we saw them. We mentioned this earlier in the year. Kane was listed, I, I think, at, at 230. Um, and then we got now Journey Brown, 220. And he talk, uh, Mark Brennan wrote something up on this uh, in our takeaways piece yesterday. He says he's not sacrificing speed to get there, and he feels comfortable at 220, 225. Last year, if I recall correctly, listed at 205. Um, I know there were concerns last year. Ricky Slade put on weight, didn't really equate to any kind of uh, step forward for him on the field. But we've said this earlier, uh, Devin Ford is the only guy, and he, maybe he's not under 200 pounds anymore, but he's the only guy that you could qualify as, as kind of being a skinnier back. These guys that came in big, uh, the freshmen, they're putting on weight in a hurry. And then Kane and Brown just seemed well-equipped equ- well to, to take hits and dish out hits of their own. I mean, it's funny because you think about these guys and, you know, you're going to stereotype and typecast uh, Noah Kane and Journey Brown as thunder and lightning. And you're thinking, what, eight, 10 pounds in between them. So it'd be really interesting to see the different running styles, especially if Journey can retain that speed. And it's been a question mark for some backs that have done that in the past. And I think it's a perfectly legitimate question. This kid's a super athlete. I mean, you you, you kind of, you know, his track background and everything like that. Um, I, I'm curious to see how he handles it. I'm curious to see what the role is and the split is, especially as I mentioned earlier with that eight games, you, you mean you probably don't have as, as uh, high of a pitch or excuse me, as low of a pitch count as you typically would to conserve those guys for the stretch run. So be interesting to see how they handle that. I think journey looked tremendous last year. Uh, what was he two? I think he was in the two tens, uh, two fifteen area. Um, but he's added some weight. All those guys have added some weight. Holmes has added some weight. Kevon Lee's added some weight since he got here. So a much bigger room, uh, this time around, I'm interested to see how they handle it. I'm interested to see how they balance it. But like I said, whoever's carrying that football, they be a pretty talented kid. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. There's a reason to be excited about this backfield and 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 that you can go down that list and, and whoever gets plugged in has a chance to become uh, you know a sensational player and, and maybe pull off a, a Journey Brown act of their own in 2020. But I do think I, I like Noah Kane's chances to remind everybody just how he had momentum rolling last year. And I think he's going to come out and really uh, impress a lot of people this season. But Journey Brown right there as well. And what he did last year is not easy to forget. And he showed that power even before he bulked up. Um, enough about the skill guys. Let's talk about some linemen, Sean. Uh, something notable popped up this week. Will Fries uh, repping at guard um, on the offensive front in practice, along with tackle, uh, slotted as the first team right tackle. He talked about, you know, feeling that challenge from Caden Wallace this offseason. Caden is a, I mean, we've talked about this. The kid looks so different than he did his last year of high school. And his last year of high school, he was considered a four-star top 100 prospect. He has continued to build physically. And if there's such thing as a trim 335, uh, this guy is it. I mean, this guy is, 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 is just well put together. It seems like he's making a move. Had an off-field off issue. We'll see how that gets dealt with internally by the program. But really, I, I think that, that this is going to be interesting. And it's compelling to me on the Caden Wallace side of things. And it's also, you know, Will Fries isn't necessarily a stranger to playing on the interior. 
Jersey, Jersey, Jersey. Got to get that Caden Wallace reference in there, huh? Well, uh, no, I got both guys in there. Both you are did. Jersey. Yeah, you did. Uh, different, different jerseys, but uh, no. I mean, Caden Wallace. I think that's the reason you're hearing this stuff about Will Fries is Caden Wallace. They're excited about him, and he's just a redshirt freshman. Even though he feels like he's been around for a long time, he's been a guy that that we always projected at guard, but they seem to think pretty strong, pretty highly of him at tackle. You've got a couple of guys that you can sort of flip in and out, and you can add Fries to that mix. Now you got Des Holmes that's played both of those spots. Uh, tackling guard and of course Wallace I mean I still think he can be a pro guard so it'll be uh versatility is not going to hurt this group that's for sure and experience is something that they're going to have to sort of get rolling Uh, fries is done after this year uh minutes done after this year but you roll in guys there and there everybody forgets about juice scruggs because of the injury you've got Caden Wallace Uh, I'm excited to see what Des Holmes can do and it's just a lot of you can just point to a lot of these guys and say hey you, you got a chance to be a starter you got a chance to push to be in one of those first six or seven Seven spots. And if you're in one of those first six or seven spots, as we've seen, you're going to play. So excited to see what's happened there. And of course, the, the stud at left tackle is, is not too bad either. So I'm excited to see this offensive line. I think it, it means more about what they think of Caden Wallace than it does of what they think of Will Fries to see him repping there at, at guard. So uh, it'll be it'll be an interesting combination because you you come in and essentially have a fresh slate, uh, a clean slate, excuse me, with uh, with Phil Troutwine. He's going to come in and freshen things up and make uh, make try and find your best five. And I think that that's something that uh, is going to be a lot more competition for this first five than there was, you know, even five years ago. So it'll be a, it's a very impressive uh, steps that they've made in acquiring talent at this unit. And it's, it's now it's time to put them to work. And let's not forget 2001, Caden Wallace will be a third year freshman. Now, I don't think if he's, if he's getting it done on the field and, and he's opening eyes, not going to dissuade him from exploring draft opportunities earlier, but that's where we're at in college football right now. It's just now. crazy to think about, <laughs> isn't it? Right? Just, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I get, I get the the third year sophomore, and that's even a bit to to take. But third year freshman is going to be draft eligible next year, which is just that's crazy, man. Yeah, we'll 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 get we'll to just, that we'll when we have the, to. We'll, yeah, let's tap the brakes <laughs> on that one for a second. The kid that hasn't started a game yet. So, uh, yeah. but obviously, a lot of expectations in place for for Wallace, and and a lot of expectations in place for some of these young defensive linemen. We've said before, there's a lot of names there. There's a a, a lot of numbers uh, across the board, especially on the interior of that defensive line. We'll see who steps up, but clearly. Uh, Judge Culpepper, uh, Fred Hansard, been listening to the podcast because a couple of those young players who were referenced uh, in a in a positive light as breakout potential, Akeem Beeman, Adiza Isaac. Isaac flashed last year, burned the red shirt. He's challenging Jason Oway to, to step into that starting lineup opposite of Shaka Tony. Going to play a lot regardless. And then Akeem Beeman, uh, a guy who, who came in, uh, transitioned a bit uh, from, a, from a physical standpoint and, and really made them think, long and hard about maybe playing him beyond those four games in 2019. Yeah, it was funny because the the question was actually about Cole Brevard. Uh, it was posed to Fred Hansard, the backup defensive tackle, and Fred's always happy to talk about everybody. Um, but uh, the the question was posed about Cole Brevard, and I, I mean Cole Brevard to me is a redshirt all the way, even though that's you know that's not where we're at right now with eligibility. Uh, but he, he asked about young guys, and he was like, "Well, here's he kind of pivoted and was like, here's the deal: Hakeem Beeman is that guy." Adisa Isaac is a, a draft pick waiting in the wings. I mean, a high draft pick waiting in the wings. So he's excited about those two guys. As you continue to sort of cultivate that depth 
on the defensive line. Obviously, you lost Dieter Gross Matos, you lost Robert Windsor, but you know, you you get those familiar names in the middle with Antonio Shelton and PJ Mustafer. I'm very interested to see that the, that next group of three guys, which is Hansard, Judge Culpepper, whom Hansard called an absolute beast, and uh Hakeem Beeman, who's gonna step up and try and get in there and, and make some play. So uh, improved defensive tackle play. I, I don't think there's any question that you know you want to keep that as high a level as possible. We've seen what that can do for teams that want to be championship teams, and I think they've got some talent there. Really excited to see Culpepper. I don't know why. Uh, you know he's got the bloodlines. He's got a lot going for him, and I've heard a lot of good things about him this offseason. So I'm excited to see how he kind of steps into his role, assumes his role, because they're going to have to play all five of those guys. And he is not shy in these media sessions. Judge Culpepper will take him every time you want to make him available. He is not a shy guy. One thing I wanted to get to before I forgot, because there have been a lot of descriptive phrases applied to Jason Oway. Journey Brown had a good one. He called him an anomaly uh, yesterday, and I and that just stood out to me. And I think that 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 matches up pretty good. And again, a lot of excitement here uh, about the defensive line. I know there's some uncertainty. You're wondering what you're going to get out of some of the younger guys here. But, uh, you know, we didn't even touch on P.J. Mustafer, and, and I think folks know how I feel about him. Um, it just There's a lot of interesting stuff uh, and components for John Scott Jr., another first-year coach to work with, and very curious what his rotation is going to look like early on in the season because there, there are some star talents, and we'll see how, how they get cultivated here in 2020. Um, looking at second-year players, you, we talked about Isaac and Beeman. In that cornerback room, you've got four second year guys who uh, all of them have buzz of their own. Uh, Daquan Hardy and Joey Porter Jr. both redshirted last year, did see some game action. Hardy was the scout team developmental defensive player of the year behind the scenes. And then, of course, we saw plenty of Marquise Wilson, uh, Keaton Ellis. They combined for eight forced turnovers last year, each of them three forced fumbles. Uh, Wilson had two interceptions, including one that helped seal the deal in the Cotton Bowl. Um, there's one starting job up for grabs, but I think there's reason to, to, to cast a wide spotlight within this group for this year and the years ahead. Yeah, there's a lot to like there. I mean, you look at what's out there and obviously, you know, Tariq Castro feels, but these four kids that came in last year, I mean, you just kind of look, uh, they've, I don't, I wouldn't say they've peaked at different times, but we saw plenty of great things with Marquise Wilson. I just, I'm not sure that we've seen somebody play the ball like him in, you know, in the, in the last couple of years here. Keaton Ellis is, is uh, you know, the guy that started first. And Porter is a guy that I'm very intrigued by. I just keep – everybody you ask in the program, they're like, who who is taking that next step physically? And, and Joey Porter is one of those guys. And it's just kind of – it, it the 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 package is there the the length is there everything you like is there and, and of course he we we found out last year when he showed up and ran a four four five he's faster than he thought we, than we thought he was so I don't know that he cracks that that uh, you know that place that Ellis and Wilson are right now but just incredibly intrigued by him and then Hardy you you can't find anybody saying anything bad about him I mean he's just a he's the football player that we thought he was we thought he was going to be limited by size and very well could be the case still but at the same time I mean he just hasn't fallen off. And you expect to, you know, maybe this is a guy that spends a year in the program and realizes it's a little bit high for him. And that hasn't been the case. So you like what you've seen there. I don't I don't think they have to play Joseph Johnson, um, but, you know, you've got the opportunity to do so without burning a red shirt. So you just uh, you, you want to add more to that room moving forward because you, you never know what's going to happen with these guys and how long they're, they're going to be here. But it's, uh, it's just a very interesting mix. 
Penn State found a, a very key defensive player for themselves late when they got Kevin Givens on board. And maybe they did that again here with Daquan Hardy, a guy who appeared primed to end up in the uh, with, with a MAC team um, on signing day in 2019. Penn State comes in with an offer the day before signing day and ends up bringing him on board. Uh, fantastic high school player, and, and he's proven to, to be an excellent practice player. And now we get a chance to maybe see him in extended game action. Uh, I know Terry Smith thinks very highly of him as a guy who, who can who can fill that nickel role. Um, you know, that star position right now, you're looking at Lamont Wade there, but Hardy's been mentioned uh, there as well. Donovan Johnson was a player who was mentioned there. He's no longer in the equation. So you'd think maybe that that boosts uh, a case for, for Daquan Hardy to go out and make a move and get on the football field. And um, this, you talk about the Porter and Hardy, two guys who are very different looking. Porter, six foot two, all that length, uh, pushing 200 pounds. And then Hardy, I think uh, he's all the way up to 166 now on the roster at five foot nine. So these guys all have their own unique skill set, certainly different personalities. I love Keaton Ellis uh, yesterday pointing out that uh, Marquise Wilson will, they'll both make splashy plays, they'll both make big plays, but Keaton will kind of just run back to the huddle or look over to the side and get, get an order from the coaching staff. He says Marquise Wilson will let everybody know on that opposing field that, that, that he just made that big play. And that's the swagger he brings to this group. Uh, just a lot of, a lot of components to like here. Tariq Castro Fields is, is your senior in this group. He is the guy who's going to set the tone for them. But these guys are ready to make them, their move. We already saw them make a move during the second half of the season last year. And, uh, all four wouldn't surprise me if, if we saw them pretty extensively utilized early and often here in 2020. We'll have a lot more time to talk about that group when we get to the state of the position. Uh, but, but there's, there was a lot to like just from that conversation yesterday with a couple of those guys, Porter and Ellis. Um, Team chemistry. We've mentioned this before. I just wanted to share one anecdote from Sean Clifford that I thought kind of uh, summed it up perfectly. When they rolled into September, early stages of September, he still had not met several freshmen face-to-face because of the way that this program was training, because of the way they were having guys gather for meals, uh, avoiding guys sharing the field uh, in, in, in large volume. Um, that's changing now. Preseason tune-up has kind of gotten everybody together. It's forcing them to play catch-up with the chemistry aspect, as we've mentioned. But I just thought that was pretty startling to hear that from the starting quarterback that, you know, in September, when you're going to have a football season right around the corner, they didn't know that going into the month, but they were hoping he still had not actually gone face-to-face and, and and forget shaking hands or giving hugs to guys. He just hadn't even had that face-to-face communication with new members of this roster. And some of those guys, he, he's going to maybe be counting on to go out and get wins this year. Yeah, I was thinking uh, hopefully Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert are the two of the ones that he's actually met because I think yeah, he's going to be throwing yeah. them the ball this year. Uh, it would be very interesting to see that dynamic in terms of how it builds team chemistry, how you come together in the locker room because you don't want to walk into that first game and just look at him and say, who, who are you? So it be a very interesting dynamic. I think a lot of teams are dealing with that, but at the same time, you got to do what you got to do. And you know the, the numbers came out this week and Penn State seems to be uh, back on the decline for the testing numbers. So that's uh, you know maybe maybe the things that they're doing are the right things. Yeah, they had a bit of a spike there going into September. I think it was 5.5% positive positivity rate on these tests over 1,800 of them during that two week. Uh, and then the two weeks that have followed, it's back under 2% with about the same amount of tests in that 1,800 range. So certainly a good thing to see, especially now that we know there's going to be football on the field this fall and you don't want to, to lose a portion of your roster for, for those three weeks uh, with these Big Ten protocols. 
One more thing to get to, and, and it's a it's a new thing uh, that Penn State's going to be doing, a new tradition they're trying to establish is that number zero that's now available across the NCAA. We've seen Antonio Shelton on social media petitioning for that number uh, pretty hard over the last few months, uh, but it's going to go to a special teams player, and, and the criteria here, tough, dependable, disciplined, physical leader who's going to inspire his teammates with accountability and production. Uh, James Franklin talked about it on his radio show on Thursday. They released a video on their social media page. Uh, I think that was Terry Smith doing the voiceover. Well done by him. Uh, but, you know, number zero is now a thing, and, and Penn State's going to cash in on that. Poor Antonio Shelton, though. You know, I mean, this is a guy that all he wanted was number zero, and he's not going to get that chance. But uh, it's a cool thing. I think it's a, it's a nice tradition uh, to start. I think it's a, it's a cool thing to – put that emphasis on your special teams. And as we've seen in the last year since Joe Lorg has been here, when you put an emphasis on your special teams, good things happen. So I, I think they'll continue that. Some some interesting things from talking to players. Of course, I, I sat down with a one-on-one with Chris Stoll because he's a long snapper and it's a long snapper brotherhood. And uh, he, he was saying he'd love to have it, but he thinks Jordan Stout will have a say in it. He thinks that uh, Jonathan Sutherland, uh, special teams captain, who I think everybody that was asked about this pointed to John Jonathan Sutherland as probably the eventual number zero um drew hartlob's in there isaac lutz is in there so it's it's a really cool thing to reward these guys it's a really cool thing to sort of point to your special teams and that's you know that's something that, that that's a chemistry builder in itself so be interesting to see who lands it i think it'll be sutherland but uh it's it's just it's it's thinking outside the box it's cool it's something you can market i i, I love you know i love what temple does with their single digit numbers their their toughness numbers or whatever uh, i'd love to see you know something along those lines but it, it's a cool start it was a cool video and i think Terry Smith should really get into to narration when he gets done coaching. Yes, I, I, I agree there. He's on the right track. Well, I, I think uh, we'll talk about stuff like this. Uh, or we'll talk about a lot of stuff from the, from Media Day early next week. Again, we have a full slate of, of players still ahead of us here on Friday, uh, which means we got to get toward wrapping up this podcast. But we're going to come back in just a moment and uh, talk about the state of the position at linebacker where you lose an All-American, but you still keep bringing in top recruits at that spot. Uh, what does it look like for 2020? We'll get to our five-star mailbag. And a quick note on an offensive lineman who picked up a Penn State offer earlier this week. Stay with us. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now we turn our attention to that linebacker room. As we said, Micah Parsons now moving forward. Penn State 
moving forward as well. And it has resulted in a bit of a shuffled deck in what we anticipated from the starting lineup, Sean. Jesse Lucchetta confirming on Thursday that he is indeed working in that Will linebacker spot. It's where Micah Parsons was. Uh, those two attached at the hip for much of their time on campus and uh, about as close of friends I think you would find on this roster. Um, so uh, a lot a lot to look into there. This is going to be an interesting dynamic and a storyline with, with Jesse and uh, can he athletically fill that role? Ellis Brooks uh, inside. We saw a lot of him working in with Jan Johnson as the starter last year. And then Brandon Smith, uh, the top-ranked linebacker by 24-7 Sports in the 2019 class, burned a redshirt as a, as a backup last year, and now stepping into the Sam role that that was filled the last couple years by current New York Giants rookie Cam Brown. It's a it's a very uh, intriguing group because we talk about how talented it is as a whole, but really the the experience is not there. You lose Micah, your most dynamic player, most dynamic player, defensive player in college football. So, I mean, what do you get now? And that's the that's a big question because you've got a defense that likes to sort of, uh, you know, get change itself around, play more of a 4-2-5 because that's what happens. Now you're, you know, you're playing in the Big 10, so you're stopping still stopping running games and stuff like that, but a lot of times they play with two linebackers and I think that that's probably the most intriguing thing to me about going into this season is you've got well, you've got Ellis Brooks at the mic. You've got Jesse Lucchetta at the will. And both of those guys are, are pretty much mics. I mean, those guys and, and even even Ellis Brooks said it yesterday that you basically have two mics out there, which is fine from a communication standpoint. But you lose a lot when you don't have Micah. That's that goes without saying. But you lose a lot of mobility. Those guys at times last year were kind of liabilities in pass coverage. So when you go to two linebackers, I think that's really the biggest question that I have. I think you keep Brandon Smith in there because of what everything that he can do. But at the same time, what happens in those two linebacker sets? Can Lucetta and or Brooks improve themselves in coverage to, to make that a formidable unit? Or do you have to play around? Do you have to get Lance Dixon in there? sort of as a nickel linebacker type guy and, and go with that. I think it's a very intriguing storyline when you talk about the linebackers. The linebackers, you know, when you when you set up and you play a 4-3, when you go your base formation, don't really have a problem with that. I mean, you're 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 going to get beat at times, but that's just the the nature of the position. Um you, I think they're going to be okay stopping the run, especially with the the defensive line hopefully, you know, providing them a little bit of of support up front. Uh, Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucchetta are built to stop the run, not built to stop the pass. And I think that's really my worry with this unit going in, even though from top to bottom, it's very talented. What do you get out of those guys as in your coverage when you ask them to play in space? And Micah was such a mistake eraser last year. Uh, if there was a breakdown in front of him, he had the ability to sweep uh, sideline to sideline and, 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 and handle business and turn a potential you know, 25-yard gain into a six-yard gain. And something like that can prove so pivotal over the course of a matchup. And we can talk all day about how impressive Micah is uh, during his second season at linebacker. But he's gone, and, and it's amazing how quickly this room goes from – uh, and a really experienced and veteran one to one that you're looking around and saying who's ready to step up because uh, Micah's gone, Jan Johnson played a lot of football here, and so of course did, did Cam Brown. Both of those last two two year starters, Micah essentially played uh, you know two years in a, in a starting role, expanded reps. Lucetta's seen a lot of time, Ellis Brooks has seen a lot of time, but this is a new territory for them. And Brandon Smith is going to be asked to make a big leap. I know expectations are high. That's internally, that's externally, that comes with the recruiting clout that he carries. He's got to go out there and show that he's worthy of it. And again, he's going to face two uh, really tough offensive opponents to start off the season. So it'll be a big test right off the bat for Brandon. But beyond those guys, Charlie Catshear, and I'm surprised that to see this myself, Charlie Catshear is the only non-freshman status linebacker on scholarship in that room. 
Yeah, it's remarkable, especially when you take into account that he's moved inside and is playing the mic behind Ellis Brooks right now, which is this is a guy that started out at Sam. He was a high school safety, moved yeah. to Sam, moved to Will, was expected to back, back up Micah Parsons, and now all of a sudden you're playing the mic. I mean, that's a that's a lot. And, and Charlie can handle it. He's a, an incredibly smart football player, but at the same time, that's a lot uh, physically, for especially for a guy that's had shoulder problems in the past. I think it's very uh, interesting that you take a look at the, the the makeup of what's there in the first team and the makeup of what's there in the second team. It's it's very different because you've got uh, behind behind Brooks and Lucetta in the box, you've got catcher, and then you've got a freshman in Curtis Jacobs, and then on the outside, uh, Lance Dixon's the guy that everybody's going to point to as the you know the former five star in twenty four seven sports. So. I just think it's a very different unit. Um, you got a couple of guys that are in there built to play the run, but do, do they make a change? Do they put, you know, if, if something happens or not something happens, but do they make a change? Do they they slide Brandon Smith over to the wheel? Do they bring in Lance Dixon? Lance Dixon apparently has made some strides both on and off the field uh, this year, this offseason, but at the same time, he has no experience. And really when he came in, did not know how to play linebacker. So as talented as it is, I just have a lot of questions about this group, and it's going to be one that has to grow up and, and, and play at a very high level right off the bat because, like I said, Indiana is going to go out there. They're going to spread them around. It's going to be a very different type of uh, offensive attack than Ohio State, even though you know Ohio State will spread them around, but they'll do that because they have talented guys at every spot. Indiana kind of schemes and there's their guys open. So be a, a very tough test for this group right out of the bat. Um, you know, no red shirts helps because you can play guys like Zariah Fisher at times. You can play guys like Tyler Elston. And I think Curtis Jacobs would have played regardless. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, you know, as, as talented as they are, it's a, there's, there's good reason that there's questions in this group. You mentioned the talent. There are eight scholarship guys that I see here in the linebacker room. Seven of them were considered four or five-star prospects by 24-7 Sports. Charlie Catcher, the one exception. By the way, considering the early injury issues and, and what he dealt with here at Penn State and late in his high school career, good to see him on track. Good to see him getting where he needs to be physically. And, and Charlie Catcher's, we're going to learn pretty fast, I think, where he is, whether he's going to be a, a, a really a stalwart player uh, for this team on the two deep or whether he, he's, he's going to be a, a liability ability at linebacker and we'll learn that about a few of these guys um but but i'm definitely curious you mentioned that 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 cashier um you know backing up uh, brooks inside don't you think that if, if it gets to the point where if brooks were to miss some time for whatever reason that lucetta probably slides over to that mic role and we see someone else fill the will i mean does, does that make sense i know they're both in the box but um that that's kind of where i where i see lucetta as being the true next guy if they had to turn to someone else at mike i think that makes sense and i think that that can even make sense by saying hey we can slide lucetta inside and move catcher to the will and you know i think that that might be something that they would explore they seem high on what catcher has been able to do in the offseason but uh again the experience really isn't there even though the experience isn't there for Curtis Jacobs, Lance Dixon, all, all those backups. So it'll be, uh, it, it's going to be a spot where, you know, you could sort of cross train. That's something that, uh, that Lucetta, I think it was Lucetta. I took, talked to Lucetta and Brooks yesterday. They both kind of mentioned guys playing in different spots. Brandon Smith playing in a couple different spots. Lucetta, you know, can play both of those spots. Uh, I think the communication is not anything that I'm worried about here. It's more the, the execution and getting the athletes that they need to get in space because, you know, you, you go and this is not a, a dig in anybody, but you go from a linebacker unit with Micah Parsons and then you 
go to a linebacker unit is going to be slower. So I think that's going to be something that they have to deal with. I think it's going to be something that uh, will have to be addressed early on. And Brent Pry has got to be a guy that puts him in the right spots. And like I said, individually, I'm very high on what Brandon Smith can be uh, both this year and in the future. Same with Curtis Jacobs. But uh, some of these guys are going to have to grow up and they're going to have to do it sort of right away. Yeah, again, the the lack of those tune-up games, uh, I know they're sometimes boring to watch and some people wonder what you get out of them. Well, you get reps out of those games, uh, you know, Idaho's and and Kent State's, you get reps and and those matter and you get live bullets and that matters too. Not going to have that. You're going on the road to Bloomington and and that's going to be your first brush uh, with 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 the team. What's someone that? someone posted the uh Brandon Smith uh tackle against Idaho last year and it was just Oof. Oh boy, I forgot yeah. how how violent that kid can be. So it'd be, you know, he's got a he's got he has to avoid the Cam Brown syndrome so he doesn't get ejected for targeting as I think <laughs> right. he was reviewed maybe once or twice last year, but who boy, that kid that kid can bring it. Yeah, they, it, it, he gave us a peak last year. I think we all knew how exciting of a prospect he was coming out of high school uh, in Virginia, and, and it's it's all on the table for him right now. And I know a lot of people want there to be some seamless transition from one having one superstar linebacker to having another. I don't know if it'll be that easy, but Brandon Smith has the goods, and so do some other guys in that room. The more this personnel changes in the linebacker room and, and it gets younger and, and all that, the more things stay the same in leadership. Brent Pry, a staple of Penn State's staff since James Franklin arrived in town, a staple of James Franklin's staff dating back to those days at Vanderbilt, a defensive coordinator as well as your linebackers coach, a guy who personally recruited each and every one of these players he'll be counting on. And I think that as much as we talk about the coaching changes, that stability cannot be overstated. Oh, I agree. And he's got Joe Lorig helping him out. So yeah, the sort of the consistency that they've had. I mean, he's recruited all of these guys. He's put them in the spots that he thinks they're going to be most successful. And I think some of those changes, obviously, you know, nobody asked for Micah Parsons to only be here for two years, but some of these changes that you're making where you shift catcher from Sam to Will to to Mike, I mean, you've got a guy that can sort of uh, absorb all that and take all that in. And I think that'll help you. It's just got, you got to get the maximum out of them. So, you know, Pry's got a heck of a job in front of him. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat this defense. I think they're talented. This, this group is talented, but I mean, they have to go a long way in three weeks and then, you know, you get tested right off the bat. And that's, uh, that's a tall order for these guys. And, you know, you'd like to have the schedule flip for those, uh, for those purposes. But at the same time, there's, there's really not much you can do about it. So these guys are going to have to grow up. There's a lot on Luketta. There's a lot on Brooks. These guys are, you know, veterans, the junior redshirt junior. So they've been around for a long time. They've sort of got to, they've got to grow up really quickly. And, and, and I think there's leadership there too. Um, Jesse Luketta was a class leader. He's been a leader since he got to campus in a different way than Micah Parsons would be pointed to as a leader. And I think you, you got accountability there. We'll see what you have athletically out there with this entire group. And, and it'll be fun to watch. Uh, the talent is in place uh, for this team, for this group. We'll focus on a different position and another after that as we work our way towards uh, kickoff here on the podcast. So our state of the position series will continue. Running backs on Tuesday, linebackers on Friday, two of the more deep and probably maybe the deepest positions, including tight end in that conversation on this roster. Sean, we have not talked about recruiting really at all this week, and it's maybe been a nice reprieve for some people out there after what we talked about last Friday. Um, But we're not going to let a whole week go by without addressing recruiting in some way, shape or form. There was a new offer sent out. Um, I think you actually did hit on this briefly on the last episode, uh, but Zen- this is going to be hard. Zenue 
Mahalski, or as you call him, Zen, um, six foot six, two hundred ninety pound tackle from Floyd County, Indiana. That's right at the southern border, right next to Louisville, Kentucky. Was committed to Louisville for a while. Decommitted though, uh, within about twenty four hours of getting that Penn State offer, and put out a top four yesterday: Louisville, Florida State, Ohio State, Penn State. Now do the wet blanket thing. I'm going to do the wet blanket thing as I put in my crystal ball shortly after he decommitted from, from Louisville, reached out to some folks and, and, and Penn State's still hoping that he keeps it open and everything, but put out put it out to some folks. And uh, yeah, it seems like Ohio State has the advantage here. I think that's where Penn State's at with its offensive line recruiting. I put out a story just before we went on the air earlier this week about 2021 recruiting efforts. There's, there's names out there. It's it, They're all over the place right now. I'm looking at Georgia, looking at Iowa, looking at uh, junior college guys. So, I mean, just really all over the place. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting because I don't think you have to jump at offering a guy right now, especially an un, or excuse me, especially a committed guy who may be uh, you know, pledged to another program right now because I think sort of that momentum usually takes care of itself. As crazy as the cycle has been, you still expect some of those normalcies to come around. And usually October, November is when you start seeing guys come back on the radar. And I think that'll be the the, uh, the case this time. Uh, it's going to depend if some of those guys have been to these campuses. Uh, obviously, nobody that they're recruiting right now is going to be able to make it before that first uh, uh, signing period in December. But you, you kind of Got to deal with the cards that you're dealt. Uh, Diego Pounds, I can't stress enough uh, how much of a blow that was, not only because he's a talented offensive line prospect, but because they were counting on him. And he was, you know, if you listen to the Inside Carolina podcast this week, which I don't think the overlap from these two podcasts is going to be all that much, admitted he, he had been a silent commit for a while for Penn State. So that's a, sort of a, a, a punch in the a gut punch, as I like to say, with this class. So moving along, you got a couple of guys out there. I look uh, at Enrique Cruz, who's committed to, uh, to Syracuse out of Illinois. Got a couple of Juco guys that have come onto the radar as well. So there's names out there. It's not uh, it's not Nolan Rucci. It's not Tristan Lee. It's not uh, any of those guys, but uh, there's names out there. And I think uh, they're going to maybe not overextend themselves to, to sign one, but at the same time, you want to keep your numbers up at that position. Another fun foray onto the 2021 recruiting trail with Sean Fitz here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. By the way, one other note here. I know some folks were waiting to hear from George Rooks on a decision. Uh, Brian Doan had a story up on uh, 24-7 Sports this week. Rooks now unlikely to commit prior to his senior season, uh, which I believe starts this weekend. So uh, pushing pause on, on that decision process, maybe a bit, not sure how long uh, he's going to be waiting. But, but Doan was on that and his finalists remain Penn State, Michigan, Boston College, Pittsburgh. He is the defensive tackle out of St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City. That's uh, that's one that they're waiting on. It's obviously a big target for them. Derek Davis still the biggest target that's out there. So the names are slim in 2021. But like I said, with offensive tackle, you never know which which guys can resurface or new guys that come on. I mean, uh, Zen Zen that was committed to, to Louisville, I mean, was not on the radar at all for a while there. He put on, I think, 65 pounds in the offseason, started putting up some good senior tape. So maybe you get a senior riser, and I think offensive line's a good spot to get that. Maybe the defense Defensive line, you're still looking at maybe taking a defensive tackle. Rooks is the obvious, uh, uh, the obvious target there. And then, of course, at defensive end, you've you still got guys like Davon Townley out there, um, Elijah Judy's somewhat in the mix, and then uh, Patrick Payton down there, the committed to Nebraska in Florida. So we'll see what happens with those guys. The 2021 cycle still not uh, not all that encouraging if you're a Penn State fan, but they're still trying to make things work and, and push that thing across the line. That commit counter remains at 13 for Penn State in the class of 2021, uh, number 35 national ranking 
in the 24-7 Sports Composite. Uh, let's get back into the 2020 season, and with our five-star mailbag, we'll finish off with that. Um, the question reads uh, about uh, the question addresses the new offensive coordinator who we discussed earlier, Kirk Shiraka, and here it is. Now that Shiraka has had some time with the offense, who does it look like will he he will rely on as pass catchers outside of receiver Jahan Dotson and tight end Pat Fryermuth? Are there any young receivers standing out? And as a corollary, do you expect to see more 12 or 21 personnel this year rather than that typical 11 personnel offense? Running back Devin Ford and tight end Zach Koontz are two guys that I think of as potential pass catchers who could supplement the inexperienced receiving core. I know we had a question like this earlier in the offseason, way earlier, Sean, about uh, what, what do you explore other position groups for pass catchers if, you, if you're not sure on wide receiver? And until proven otherwise, it's still a conversation worth having. Yeah, and I think I think Kirk Shiraka is going to use different formations and different personnel groups, and that's two tight ends, that's two running backs. Uh, I, I think that those are definitely on the, on the cards, especially when you look at where these talent, uh, where the talent level is in both of those rooms. I actually talked to Zach Kuntz about this yesterday at Media Day, and he's hoping that you know that can be the next step that they take, where they get more guys on the field, and and you do have a lack of experience and a lack of I'm not going to say lack of talent, but you have a lack of established playmakers outside, as this question points out. I think Fryermuth's the number one guy. I think Dotson's the number two guy. But after that, you look around and you're you're really not sure you know who that number three guy is. You'd like it to be Daniel George. You you you've heard Cam Sullivan Brown has stepped up in the offseason. I think his veteran presence is something that they're looking to to sort of stabilize that unit that's been up and down over the last couple of years. And then the kids have been the ones that uh, have have jumped to the the front of that pack with Keandre Lambert and Parker Washington. I mean, you had a couple of guys redshirt last year in T.J. Jones and John Dunmore, and he's just not hearing the buzz. Um, from either of those guys. I mean, Cam Sullivan Brown talked about them as Florida guys, but really didn't talk about them as the guys that you're looking to. So uh, it'd be very interesting to see how those freshmen fit into the mix. And then um, you know, the running backs as well um, are going to be a very, very important part of this passing game. I think it was Noah Kane that I saw said that uh, Shiraka has, has sort of drilled home them working as pass catchers, catchers working as receivers. Be, uh, be interesting to see how that works its way into the mix, especially when you take into account you know, there, there's sort of unlimited possibilities with when you can put these guys on the field and what you can do with these guys. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a, a two back set passing attack for a while. And that's something that, you know, I guess, I guess we've seen it. We've seen it against Penn State. Uh, but it, it, the, the, the possibility of that happening is big. And then you move on to the tight ends. You've got Koontz. You've got Brenton Strange, who's a very talented player as well. Um, I think you just got to get those guys on the field. And if it means taking off a wide receiver, I think they'll, they'll be fine with doing that. Dotson's so versatile that you can play it. You can start him in the slot and then you can move to 21, excuse me, you can move to 12 personnel and you can move him to the outside and bring in a Koontz or a Strange or maybe even a Theo Johnson to give yourself some different options. Um, I'm excited to see what he has drawn up because the tight end room at uh, Minnesota was nowhere near as talented as this. There's not too many schools that have the talent level that Penn State has at tight end and you got to use them. I mean, you got to use the tools that are in your toolbox and, you know, it's uh, as great great as Minnesota was last year at the receiver position. Penn State's more talented at running back. Penn State's more talented at tight end. And I think they're, they're going to use those at his disposal. We only saw Noah Kane catch a couple of passes last year. It wasn't really something that, that he was called upon to do much of. I think Journey Brown uh, has the ability to, to, to make an impact there as well. Devin Ford, uh, when we did our fantasy draft for this roster, reason why I took him higher than probably people expected was because of what we saw from him as a receiver at the high school level, what I think he can be um, as kind of that all-purpose all back for Penn State. And, and let's not forget, because I Holmes, as I mentioned, 
Don't know how. Don't know if he's going to be ready to hit the field in a big way this year, and that's a lot to ask of a guy. He's got going to have to get a lot down before he plays uh, a, a multiple roles in an offensive scheme. But yeah, you know, he was offered early by Power Five programs, including Florida Gators, where Jaywan Sutter was an assistant coach at the time as a receiver initially. So just something to keep in mind there. I can't really vouch for what Keon Lee does as a pass catcher because he doesn't have senior film. He told us that, that he felt comfortable as a receiver, but uh, you, know, you can go down this list at tight end too and, and bring in Theo Johnson to the conversation. There's just a lot to like there. And then we try to go down a list at wide receiver and you don't know how to order the list. You don't know what names to really include there. And no, it's, it's been a long time since we've seen any of these guys running routes in person. A spring ball, a spring practice, I think, would have been uh, at least given some clarity on where things stand. But you've got five new players there, including a junior college player who's who's of slight physique in Norval Black. And then you've got a first-year uh, a first leadership coach uh, there, Taylor Stubblefield, who was hired after you signed all those guys. So it's not like he went out and hand-selected these guys and brought them to campus. So a lot to figure out a receiver. And, and look, we've heard that strides have been made at that position. Kirk Shiraka said that. Sean Clifford said that. You know, Sullivan Brown and Jahan Dotson, of course, said that. Um, but uh, until proven otherwise, it, it really feels like that room is Jahan Dotson, and then everybody else uh, is a possibility. You know, see who see who steps up and sticks. But I really do think that those two freshmen that we've been banging the drum for a long time now, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert, they're going to get their opportunity to go out there. And if they if they grab a hold of that and, and they produce, I think we'll see a lot of both of them over the course of the season. I agree. Uh, very interested to see what Daniel George can bring to the program. As you mentioned, a lot of guys, you know, get this offseason buzz and and sometimes it comes to fruition. So, you know, uh, it, sometimes it does not. And uh, Daniel George is a guy that traditionally has peaked in the offseason. And you look at him and you know why, because he's a freaking monster physical specimen. But he's got to he's got to bleed that over and play that uh, play that way the field and we'll see if he's able to do that and frankly until they start throwing it around on a game field there's really no way to tell so uh very uh intriguing position group and that's not going to change that didn't change because we were talking about the same thing i think back in february so uh until somebody steps up and takes control and, and as we've seen in the past that can happen uh it's 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 very easy to second guess this unit and i would not blame you for doing so yeah, it's been a, been a while since you could go down the list and say, uh, this guy's proven it, this guy's proven it. Probably have to go back to 2017 for that with this group, and uh, they'll look to turn things around in 2020, and they're going to need to if they really want to go chase uh, a college football playoff spot. Uh, Sean, I think that's going to wrap it up. We actually got to get ready for this next uh, wave of player calls. Anything else you want to add before we step away for the weekend? Shout out to the friend of the podcast, Sam Ficken. Uh, awesome night on Thursday Night Football. For those of you who stayed up to watch Broncos Jets, God bless you. Uh, but Ficken kicked five field goals, including I think a 54-yarder. So that's that's freaking fantastic. I mean, I can't can't stress enough how, how much he's worked and how uh, awesome that story is. Freaking fantastic Ficken. And we'll end on that note. Uh, thanks That's to a all dangerous of our listeners. combination of words to say, let me tell you. <laughs> it is dangerous. Um, we'll come back to you next week. A couple new episodes, a couple more positions to really focus in on, and a new batch of notes and quotes coming your way from the latest player availability. We are in full preseason mode now on Penn State Beat. Go check out our coverage at lines247.com, including 16 takeaways from day one of these player conversations. We'll catch you next week. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.